students t-shirt. We have our incredible gathering for first impressions and chapel kids after the services today. Just so many great things happening at the chapel. Let me tell you two more that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. And we want to continue to talk about this one, especially because it's happening uh, in October and we want everyone to be a part of it. It's our Global Missions Conference. And we can put that on the screen here. It's October 1st through the 4th, 2022. And we're going to continue to tell you more about it. But I just thought today would be a great time just to introduce some of our missionaries. I can't go through all of them uh, today, but I'll just point out just a random couple of uh, the stealth. They are with the little baby right there. They're serving in a country that I can't tell you about uh, just because of safety reasons. But they were uh, here a couple weeks ago and we got to sit with them, meet their baby, and just seeing a young couple uh, going out and serving Jesus across the globe uh, is just super encouraging. They actually can't be here in person because they just got their visas to go back. Uh, especially with their baby, but everyone else you see on this uh, list who we support as a church, who you support as a church, will be here. So make sure you're part of that October 1st through the 4th. More to come on that. And then finally, this Tuesday, uh, we kick Renewed back off. It's a great gathering place for women of all ages. It is Tuesday from 6 to 7.30 in this room. And it's going to be an incredible night. Uh, Donna Gassett, who's a longtime uh, chapel volunteer, one of the founding members of the chapel, is going to be here with Sonia, her daughter, who leads our Norwalk uh, worship. And they're going to be here for the whole night. Worship, music, teaching. It's going to be great. And then afterwards, we're going to have small groups in the, uh, small group signups, I should say, in the atrium. So if you are interested in connecting with other women, um, you can go out there and there's tons of groups available, different times, different locations. So make sure to check that out. The great thing is if you're a mom and you're like, well, I have to, I can't come because we have, uh, I have the kids. Well, we have free childcare, free for you to come and enjoy the night uh, with other women. And you can text the word renewed to that number on the screen and then you can sign up. We just need to know how many kids will be there, but it's free. So just come and enjoy a night with friends and coffee and teaching. And this is to renew your souls. So get ready for that. Uh, before we jump into the message, um, man, today's a hard day for many in our country. September 11th. Where were you 22 years, or 21 years ago, I should say now? I remember being in Mr. Rose Smith's class, coming out. And my buddy Kyle saying to me, planes just attacked our country. I didn't even know what that meant. How do you even put that into words? You know where you were that day. What an incredibly difficult time as a country. And we remember that today. And I think the best way to remember that as a country today is to honor those who not just served back then, but also who serve now. So today we pray for and we celebrate those who are first responders. If you're a police officer, if you're a fireman or a firewoman, if you uh, drive ambulance and you're one of those first responders on the scene, if you're active or retired military, we just want to say thank you. Can we just celebrate those today in our midst? So grateful for that. We know if there ever is those things happening in our community or in our world, you are just going to go. And so I just want to pray for you this morning. So let's pray together. Lord, we do lift up the victims and their families of September 11th today. I can't imagine the pain that they are reliving today. 
It's such a hard day for us in this country, but harder for them who lost a loved one in that. Comfort them today, Jesus. We just thank you for those who are called to be a first responder. Those who put their lives on the line, either locally or in our country or around the world. What incredible men and women that we have fighting for our country to allow us to be free. Not just to have the rights that we have, but to have the religious rights that we have. To gather here today, we are grateful. And Lord, as we pray for our country, I just lift up us as an American country to you. You must be so grieved at the sin and the different acts of violence and the different acts that are happening in our hearts. So bless this country and most importantly, bless us here because we're a part of that. Purify us, Jesus, for your glory. In your name we pray. All right, let's open your Bibles to Acts. We're in the book of Acts right now, continuing to go through chapter by chapter. We're getting close to the end, and this is an incredible chapter, chapter 20. And what we want to focus on today are verses 16 through 21. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 16, verses, uh, let's see, six, or sorry, 20, verses 16 through 21. Let me read these for us today. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when we landed in Miletus, he spent a, or sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I endured the trials that have come from the plots of the Jews. But I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. As I read that passage one verse really stuck out to me. And we want to camp on this verse for a while today. And we'll continue to move through Acts 20. But this verse to me is like, wow. How can we do this in our lives? It's when Paul says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. You know, all of us want to tell the people that we love the most how we feel or what the truth is. But sometimes it's the hardest to tell people the truth because we don't want to offend them. We don't want to hurt their feelings. A phrase that we put on someone like that or we struggle with that is people pleasing. We want to please people. We don't want to say anything to hurt them or harm them or hurt their feelings. We just want everyone to be happy with us. But when you hear Paul say, I never shrank back from telling you the truth, Paul is saying no matter how hard it was, no matter how difficult the truth was, I never shrank back. I never withheld the truth from you. Now that word in Greek, shrank back, is the word, I can't say it, I haven't been in Greek in a while, hubostello, and this Greek word is to withdraw, to draw back, to keep back, to shun, to conceal. In other words, he's saying, look, I've never withdrawn from a difficult conversation. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. 
No matter how difficult it was for you to receive it, no matter how difficult it was for me to say it, my commitment to you is that I said the hard truths no matter what it did to our relationship. But in the context of what Paul is saying, what didn't he withdraw from? What didn't he shrink back from? What were some of these conversations? Well, Paul tells us in verse 20, one, I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul says, anytime I was in private in conversations with you over the dinner table, or publicly when I stood up and I shared the message of God, I never shrank back from the truth. The truth that we ought to repent from our sin and that we should turn to God and put our faith in Jesus. Now that message in our culture today is very difficult to say. We live in a post-truth culture that basically says, what is your truth? Okay. What is my truth? Okay. Those two, even though they're opposing, they need to get along because your truth is truth and my truth is truth. But when we read Paul, Paul says, well, everyone may have their own truth. The Jews did. The Jews' truth was steeped in legalism about God. They thought approaching God was based on a scoring system. The Greeks, they had their own view of God. They were in a pluralistic culture, which means they worshipped numerous gods, or some of them didn't worship God at all. I mean, that was happening back then, just like it is now, it just looks differently. But just like it would have been hard for us to go up to someone whose truth is not the truth of Jesus and say, I know this isn't what you believe, but here is what the truth is. It's difficult for us, but it was also difficult for Paul. So let's not put him on a a top level here and just say, hey, Paul was just this super Christian. No, he just was faithful to the Lord. And he knew no matter what it cost him, even if his life, he was never going to shrink back from the truth of sharing Jesus and reminding the churches about the truth of Jesus as well. And again, that can be very difficult for us. Especially if you use that word repent. Oftentimes I heard that word repent and I'm thinking of people that are on maybe the corner of a busy street and they have a bullhorn and they're just yelling, repent, repent, you're going to hell. And you're just like, whoa, dude. You may be using that repent word because it's in the Bible, but how you're using that, that is turning people off. Like, they don't even want to hear about the message of Jesus. You're just condemning them. And Jesus says, I've not come to condemn. (laughs) But the word repentance, we still need to use that. But we need to use it in the context that it's actually written in. And that word repent literally means to change our minds. To change our minds about how we view God. To change our minds with how we view ourselves. Because when we're born in this world, we're born and steeped into selfishness. For our whole lives, we believe that we are God and we act accordingly to that truth. And yet Paul is saying, listen, you're not God, but there is a God and his name is Jesus. And not only should you change your mind about this God, that word faith is right next to it. 
Repent of, change your mind, and then put your faith into Jesus. Change your mind that you're God and put your faith in the true God who is Jesus. And Paul, whether it was to the Jews who ended up killing Jesus, if you, do, if you remember that, whether it's to the Greeks who worshipped a plethora of gods or didn't worship God at all, he would say, here's the truth of Jesus. Whether it gets me killed or not, to repent of your way of life and put your faith in Jesus and allow him to lead your life. And what's so incredible about this, look what Paul says a little bit later in Acts 20. He says, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. Paul says, look, it has been so hard going from town to town, from people group to people group, and telling people, hey, by the way, your beliefs, they're not 100% correct. Repent, change your mind about yourself, and put your faith in Jesus. It's been so difficult, so hard, just like it would be difficult and hard for us to have those conversations with coworkers or friends or family. But he says, at the end of the day, I was faithful. At the end of the day, I did it. At the end of the day, my life wasn't my own. It was God's. And no matter what he wanted to do with my life, I was willing to put my life on the line so that people can know about Jesus. He said he's faithful. So let me ask you. When it comes to telling friends or family members, coworkers, about Jesus, would you say that you can echo Paul's words like, yes, I'm faithful. No matter how hard it is or weird it is or how excluded I am now, I told people about Jesus. Or there's another category. Paul doesn't just tell people about Jesus who don't know him. If you read Paul's letters, he also writes to Christ followers who may be going a different direction. He may be correcting some of their views of God or correcting some of their behaviors that aren't in line with a godly lifestyle. He was willing to tell the truth even if people didn't write him letters back or excluded him from friendship. He never withdrew, no matter what it cost him. Are you and I faithful in that way as well? I've been reflecting on that in my life, and the answer for me is no. And I imagine that for you, you would say probably no as well. We all drop the ball. We all don't say what we really want to say. So how can we do that? And more than that, just even in our relationships in general, how do we not shrink back from telling the truth? Even to our spouse, or to our best friend, or to a sibling, or to a parent, or to a boss. How do we say what needs to be said without being a people pleaser, without just being okay with things being okay, even though we know deep down they're not? Well, for the rest of our time, I want to give you a specific tool, actually two specific tools, to do that in our everyday lives. And my prayer is that when we leave here, no matter how hard it is, we, like Paul, will say, I didn't shrink back. I didn't withdraw. I I told the truth, even if it hurt. So here's an interesting word that I think 
can line up with what Paul is saying. I think if Paul could put that in one word, it would be that word candor. Webster's Dictionary just defines it this way. It's an unreserved, honest, or sincere expression. It's being forthright. How many of us are candid in our relationships? With people that don't know Jesus? With people who may be living a life where we're just like, oh man, you're going to hurt your marriage, or you're going to hurt your place at work, or you're going to hurt their friendship, or whatever it is. How many of us can say this describes our life? Well, it doesn't always describe me. And I'm going to tell you how not so in a few minutes. I struggle with this, not all the time, but in some of my key relationships, so much so that I was on the library app Libby, and I was just looking for books to help me have hard conversations with people, and I stumbled upon this book. It's by Charles Causey. As you can see, he has a military uniform on. He was a chaplain in the, I think it was the Navy. I could be wrong. Come and tell me afterwards if I'm wrong, because you probably can tell. Is it the Navy? Army. I knew it. I almost said Army, too. Thank you for being candid with me. I appreciate that. See, we're already working on this. That's great. But I saw this. It's from Moody Publishers, Christian book, The Secret to Succeeding at Tough Conversations. I'm like, I need to learn the secrets. <laughs> and I'm looking at the, you, before you borrow the book, I'm looking, I'm like, friendships, relationships, co-works. I'm like, sign me up. So I started to read it. And he defines candor in a really unique way. And he said there's four ingredients or four keys of candor. If you have your uh, notes, write this down, jot it in your uh, on a notepad, you can take pictures if you want. Email me and I'll send this to you. Four keys of candor. And I was like, whoa, these are really good. I introduced it to our staff a couple weeks ago. I said, hey, let's have candor like this in our conversations or with our people. So here's the first key to candor. It's speak the unspoken truth. Have you ever been in a situation where the person's sitting there and everybody knows something about that person. You know it. Your friends know it. Your family knows it. Your coworkers know it. And nobody wants to tell that person. And you're just praying, Lord Jesus, may that person just open their mouth. And I'm going to nod really hard, but like it is unspoken. That person needs to hear it. That's what we're talking about here. The unspoken truth. Everyone knows it. They don't know it but they're going to know it if someone shares it. That's the first step, is you got to speak the truth that many people aren't willing to speak. The second key is with love. I have a bag, right? Hey, Colin, you see, Colin Cooper, you see that bag right there? You're like, why are you talking to me from stage? I know, I'm sorry. See that bag on the, um, thank you. Can you bring that up for me? We just give it up for Colin. Thank you, my friend. Colin, you want to come speak too? All right, I'll keep going. Okay, so, I have a bag. I'll show you what's in it in a second. Speaking the truth with love. That's not original with me. That's Paul. Remember Paul, he's hanging out with the the church in Ephesus we just read, and as he's writing to the church, because he loves this church, he's like, hey, instead we speak the truth in love Growing in every way more and more like Christ. When you speak the truth in love, you're growing to be like Christ. Can you guys repeat after me? The truth 
in love. Say it with me. The truth in love. Say it again. The truth in love. One more time. The truth in love. Because here is why, and I want you truth tellers to listen. There are some of us in this room who when I said people pleaser, you rolled your eyes like, that ain't me. I tell the truth. In fact, you're like, Eric, have the people pleasers raise their hand. I will ask them the truth that they want to share with their spouse or someone else, and I'll go say it for them. <laughs> I'm just going to go for it. In fact, if, if you are probably like this, time to tell the truth. Okay, let me strap up here because it's about to be a fight, and you're putting on your boxing gloves, right? I'm not going to lie. You guys may think I'm tough. These are my mother's boxing gloves. I'm not going to kill they really are. I asked her to bring them because I'm not tough. And you're like, it's time to tell the truth. And you're like, man, my spouse, woo, when she gets home from work, it is fighting time. My boss, my coworker, even the person that doesn't know Jesus, that person living in sin, oh, they're going to know they're living in sin. They're going to know that they don't believe in Jesus because I'm going to pulverize them with the truth. And if you do that, let me tell you, you may be telling the truth, but you're not telling the biblical truth. Let me say that again. I'm quoting Paul, not me. If you are a truth teller, without saying it in love, which includes kindness and grace and mercy and patience, not I'm ready for a fight. If you are a truth teller and you're just knocking people out with it, you may be telling the truth and it may be 100% gospel, but it's not the biblical truth because you're saying the truth to make yourself feel better about yourself without any regard for the person hearing it. You're going in for a fight while the other person has their hands tied behind their back. So if you want to be a truth teller, great. We all need to be. But we have to tell the truth with love. We tell the truth when needed. Not just how we say it, but when we say it and where we say it is so key to this. Paul said this, don't forget. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. There are times where I'm standing up here and sharing truth. The problem, though, is it's not a dialogue. I mean, you can make it into a dialogue. It'd be really awkward, but we can talk if you want. <laughs> but most of the time, you're sitting there receiving what I'm having to say. You don't have to agree with it, but you're receiving it. It's not a conversation. Paul loved to have conversation in homes because he could listen. Listening is one of the greatest aspects of truth. Because you're saying that you love the person enough to hear what they have to say, not just share your truth because this is the truth and you know the truth and if you don't want to handle the truth, you can't handle the truth. No. We do it when it's needed to benefit others. Right? The truth is for them. Paul says it so clearly later in Ephesians. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, building the other person up so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. If someone doesn't know Jesus 
and you're telling them about Jesus, they should be encouraged by the good news. It's the good news. It's not the bad news. It's the greatest news. We should encourage them. They may not want to believe it. They may not agree with it. That's okay. But they should walk away being like, dang, if that's true, I need that in my life. Like, if it's true that when I take my last breath, I'll be with Jesus for eternity, like, I got to think about that. That's super encouraging. That's what Jesus came to do. It's the good news, not the bad news. So we say it to benefit others. So how do you do this? How do you put this into practice today or tomorrow? We at the chapel, on our staff, we have this saying, and you've heard us say it before, but it's so great. The last 5% conversation. And this is how this goes. You know when you're talking with somebody and you need to tell them the truth, so you're like, okay, whew. Boxing gloves are off. I don't want to kill the person. Or some of you are like, all right, I just got to say it. So you say it, and you say it, and you say it, and you say it. And then you walk away. And you're like, dang it. I didn't say it. We usually say 95% of what we need to say, we know they need to hear, but then we leave the 5% back out of fear. We don't want to hurt them. We don't know how they're going to react. And so we hold the 5% back. And what we're saying is, Paul didn't withhold. We shouldn't either. So go and have a 5% conversation. Literally, the other day on our staff communication tool, I just wrote to our staff, hey, who needs to have a 5% conversation with someone today? And wouldn't you know it, 20 of our staff members had to have one with me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what is funny, though, is my wife, she replied back, she goes, I'll have one with you. I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want another 5% conversation. But, like, are you going the last 5%? That thing that you need to say. How are you saying? So let's put it into two different categories as we close. If it's in the context of telling the gospel, the 5% needs to be sharing Jesus with those who don't know. You don't have to have a, blow, a bullhorn and condemn people. No. One of the greatest tools that you have, Christ follower, is your story. When you're interacting with someone who is going through something that you can relate to, you just tell them your story. You don't have to push Jesus on them. But you can just say, man, and just talk conversation like, oh, I've, been, I've gone through that same thing, and, and I'm so grateful for Jesus. You know, like, this happened. Or I'll say someone who I'm talking to, I can just tell they're struggling in life. I'm like, I've been there. I remember when I was 17, waking up, just not wanting to exist anymore. I didn't want to go to sleep because I was so scared of having to take the next day and do the same thing over and over again. I just hated my life, but somehow I gave it to Jesus. Like, those that we're talking about, but it's those 5% of just going there, relating to people in love, telling them the truth about the gospel because they need to hear it. If you don't, it's like someone coming up to you and telling you that they think you have cancer, they're just really, really sick. And you say back to them, I am so sorry. I'm going to Meyer after our coffee time. Do you want me to pick you up some Tylenol? And you're like, no. That'll help, like, dull the pain. But there's something underneath causing the pain. I want to go after that. I want to go see my doctor and get him a treatment plan for that. That's what it means to share the gospel. You don't just have to tell them what they want to hear. Sometimes you have to say, can I tell you why this has happened in your life? You say it with love and encouragement. You build them up, but you say the 5%. So let me ask you, who do you have to have a 5% conversation with? Who in your life are you like, man, they, 
they don't know Jesus. And I've been skirting it around her. They don't come to church. I need to invite them. Like, I'm just scared what they think. When we don't say the truth, what we're really saying is we care more about ourselves than somebody else. Right? If we see something that they need and we have it and we withhold it, that's called selfishness. We're adults. Let's not shrink back. We have God on our side. Then the second question I want to end with is, how did I respond when someone shared their last 5% with me? If I was defensive or angry, who do I need to make things right with? A couple years ago, I had a 5% conversation, and it did not go well. Someone had it with me. I was so angry. I was going to person to person telling them my side of the story. You know how you kind of leave a few things out? Oh, yeah, that, that happened. But let me tell you this. I'm just trying to justify my actions, trying to get someone to have my side so that I can go back and say, see, you were wrong. Well, I texted my mentor. I was like, hey, I need to talk to you. And he's one of those guys you got to schedule out for weeks because he's just a busy guy. He's like, I'm calling you today. I was like, all right, yes. I tell him the whole story. And he goes, Eric, I hear why you're frustrated. And I'm like, yep, you sure do. And he goes, but you're wrong. And I was like, excuse me? He goes, you're wrong. He said, you're angry and defensive because you're insecure and you're fearful. And just like a scared animal, when you go up to a fearful animal, they attack. You are attacking because you have this in your life and you're reacting out of that. And man, I deflated when he said that. But you know what deflated? It wasn't my spirit. It was my ego. I finally was able to see for the first time they were right. And I went back to this person. And I said sorry to this person literally 30 times in two years. I say it to him about once a week. I still feel badly about it. It's a joke between us. He's forgiven me. But if people talk to you, are you going to fight Defend, justify, or may God be using that person who did not shrink back in that moment and it was so hard for them to say it, looked you in the eye and say what you needed to say. One of the greatest things that you can give to others and what people can give to you is not to shrink back from what they need and what you need the most. Are you willing to do it? Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, we just come to you. We just thank you for telling us the truth. Thank you for being willing to leave heaven's comforts and to come down here and speak the truth. It got you killed, but it gave us life. Oh, Lord, may we step in your footsteps and Paul's footsteps. Though people may come at us or be sad or angry with us, we know at the end of the day we were faithful. And that's all that matters. Give us the courage and the humility to both give and receive your truth. For Jesus' sake, amen. Have a great Sunday.